Hello and welcome to the Fried Egg Podcast. My name is Garrett Morrison, and today I'm talking about beekeeping and sustainable golf with Parker Anderson. But first, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Precision Pro Golf. Precision Pro is proud to announce its next major advance in golf technology, and that's the Ace Smart Speaker. This is a portable Bluetooth speaker that can read distances to you. So the Ace Smart Speaker doesn't just play music. Ace stands for Audio Caddy Experience, and that's really what it is. It's a personal caddy that speaks to you and gives you GPS distances to the front, middle, and back of the green. It also enables you to customize layup zones and get distances for those. Basically, it just allows you not to second guess your distances or second guess the shot you've decided to hit. The A Smart Speaker is available for just $149.99 at precisionprogolf.com or amazon.com. It could be a great holiday gift for yourself or for a golfer you know. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. All right, today we are tackling the widely debated issue of golf's relationship to the environment. My guest is Parker Anderson, who runs a company called Greener Golf. Basically, Greener Golf consults with courses about how to use their resources better and how to be more sustainable overall. And Parker's basic message to those courses and to us is that golf can really be a force for good in the environment. It doesn't have to take away, doesn't have to just kind of keep things status quo. It can actually offer benefits. And one of those benefits involves bees, which Parker and I will definitely talk about. So one more thing before we get into it. In addition to all the other stuff he's done, Parker was a founding member of the band Iration. And he's close friends with the lead singer of that band, Micah Pouchel, who sometimes goes by Poosh. Micah is a big-time golf tragic, well-known in the golf community, and when Parker refers to Poosh at the beginning of our interview, that's who he's talking about. All right, let's do it. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. You grew up in Hawaii? Yeah. We, or did you li- just live in Hawaii for a while? Live in Hawaii for a while. So I was there from like in middle school through high school. And that's kind of how I know Poosh. We we kind of grew up together. Some pretty formative years there with, with Micah and a lot of the guys from the band Iration. We all ended up in Santa Barbara together and kind of started that band up, which was a lot of fun. But Hawaii is a really special spot for me. I was the tournament director for the Hawaii State Junior Golf Association for a couple years, which was great experience and um, got to play a lot of golf in Hawaii, which is always, always a good treat. But we're actually heading back to Hawaii on January 1st for about six weeks. So I'm really excited about that. Good time of year to, to do it. I know, man. It's great. Um, all right. Well, wh- why don't we dig into the topic? There's many things that I could <laughs> yeah. talk about with you. Like there's any number of things. You've got a fascinating resume and you and I have have some places in common, even that that we could probably chat about. Yeah, but maybe people wouldn't be as interested in that 
as the uh, as the work that you're doing. And that work centers on sustainability and golf. Now, I was going to open with some questions about bees and beekeeping and that idea on golf courses. And, and we'll get to that for sure. We'll tell that story. But there was an article that came out this week on CNN.com that discussed golf and the environment and ended up getting passed around a lot on the internet. You know, it's an interesting article in the sense that the soundbite from it, the the quote that's going to get reprinted and redistributed is the line, golf is a dirty sport that's wrecking the planet, but it doesn't have to be. So there's that line in the article, but then the article kind of goes on to discuss golf and the environment, the challenges that it's facing right now, and um, and some of the things that golf architects and uh, golf course superintendents are doing to try to improve things. And so that the article doesn't really follow up on that opening proclamation. But in any case, I guess what I wanted to ask you about was if somebody didn't know anything about golf and the environment and just read that article, what would you want that person to know? I mean, it's it's a, a common theme, these these articles that I've I've received a lot of them and it's come in many forms. And and I, when I started reading it with with like that tagline that you mentioned of golf is a dirty sport that's wrecking the planet, and I was like, oh, here we go again. You know, this is just another one of these bashing golf kind of uh, articles. And and like you said, it does follow up with some examples, some case studies of of carbon sequestration, of a lot of a lot of uh, positives that that are happening in the golf, and and some some case studies and. Um, but a lot of it is from Europe. You know, there's a lot of examples in Europe and Iceland. Some really cool stuff happening in Iceland, which is fascinating. Surprisingly, you know, surprisingly golf in Iceland. But there's some great, great uh, examples there. Really, really progressive approach to how golf impacts the environment. And I think that's something that I think the golf industry in general is very, very bad at of of describing the value of golf, especially to non-golfers. And what what the challenge that I face a lot is is there's a there's a big stigma already you know set in our society that golf courses are these these wasteful, elitist kind of land like high fence, high walls land uses that are inaccessible that have a history of you know closing their gates to to many people and. You know, I think some of it is justified, and but I think to to make generalizations that golf is a dirty sport, or you know, and it's and it's wrecking the planet is is kind of an oversimplification. There's there's a there's fifteen thousand golf courses about approximately in the U.S., and some are doing really incredible things, and some are having a challenge with with what we're facing with with this climate catastrophe, and and how do you how do we survive that? So there's some really we're kind of at a really critical time in in the history of our our species, but also our industry. And when when there's this battle of golfers, you know, kind of seeing this dynamic of golf against the environment, there's kind of this trade-off often where you know this has kind of been the the norm in in our industry is like if if we have to be more environmental better environmental stewards then we have to give up something else and i don't see it that way i think that's kind of a, a thing of the past where sustainability and focusing on environmental initiatives and and kind of going beyond sustainability really of of using golf courses as these regenerative spaces and and really provide a lot of value to community 
you know, that's a possibility. And, and there's courses that are kind of and are demonstrating that right now. But I think the article really touches on a point that there's a stigma around golf, to, especially to the non-golfer. You know, most, most people experience golf from a, I'm just driving by this fenced off area and I see the irrigation going off and I don't see a single soul out there. So what a waste of land. There's a uh, California assembly bill that's been proposed recently. Uh, it's AB 672, and it's basically a proposal to turn a lot of public golf courses into affordable housing. And um, you know, I'm all for affordable housing. I think you know, we were just talking about the challenge of living in California, and, and I need some affordable housing. <laughs> um, but there's, I think there's there's better ways to do it. I mean, golf courses often in these urban areas are these last remaining green spaces that provide a, a significant value to those communities that, like I said, golf, we're not very good at telling that story, especially to non-golfers. And that's a lot of what my work involves is saying this land use provides this list of ecosystem services to this community. And so what, you know, what I'm saying is we need to be able to describe the value of a golf course other than just monetary value. And, and that's where the, the difficult work comes into play. And, you know, part of this is a PR project in yeah. the sense that in that CNN article, there was an easy opportunity for the writer or the writers to say golf is a dirty sport and it's wrecking the planet. And a lot of readers will s simply sort of accept that because that is an established narrative that people are familiar with as sort of oversimplified or even erroneous as it might be. And so part of the project is to combat that, to put a different story out there and and give people access to that so they have the ability to say, actually, I don't know if I really believe that line of the article. Um, so that's that's maybe one thing. But another thing is working with golf courses to improve the environmental services that they that they provide. Uh, your company, uh, Greener Golf, does a lot of this kind of work. And specifically, one that's really fun to talk about is the beekeeping work that you do. Uh, and so maybe we could just start by talking about bees in general, because I, I think a lot of people sort of avoid bees. Right? <laughs> their, yeah. their main relationship with bees is, is please don't sting me or, or please get out of my food or or whatever. But tell me about your interest in bees and how that came about. Yeah, well, my interest in bees goes way back, and and so does my experience in golf. And so it's been a it's been a great. I'm very grateful for the ability to combine those two passions together. You know, the more I learn about bees, and I continue to learn about bees, even though I've been a beekeeper for for about 15 years, uh, is is they're really incredible creatures, really selfless. They kind of um, operate on this for the greater good model, and. They just work tirelessly for the greater good of their colony. And I think that's an incredible lesson to be learned right off the bat. And then pollinators, especially honeybees, really are the backbone of our agricultural systems. They, they provide pollination services for over a third of the, the food that we eat. So basically every one out of three bites that you're consuming is thanks to a honeybee and its pollination. And so they're very important for our agriculture. Uh, the problem is that we're experiencing significant uh, die-offs of colonies every year. So basically, 
a beekeeper will experience 30 to 50% of their colonies will die every year. So a lot of the a lot of the work of a beekeeper is really recovering your losses and then trying to re re strengthen your colonies. And so like I said earlier we're at a very critical time in the history of our species of the planet and bees play a really critical part in that. And how it relates to golf is that bees are on golf courses already. They they find water, they're looking for flowers, there's trees that have flowers, there's um, out-of-play areas that have flowers. And so they're foraging on golf courses already, they're looking for um, places to live. But the, the human-honeybee interaction is not always positive on a golf course, as you know. Um, right. And so, for example, at, at Goat Hill Park in Oceanside, great little little facility that I that I love to spend time at. We have a great beekeeping program down there. And, and how it started was um, I was playing in the Herdsman, which is a two-man uh, best ball two-day event, which is a blast. And but we're playing and and there's there's I'm just looking around, there's bees in irrigation boxes. There's a swarm that's hanging from a tree, like right next to the cart path. And there's just bees everywhere, which is you know, it's it's great showing that bees are healthy in that area. But, it, but I was like this, I talked to John Ashworth and I said, John, this is a, a liability. There's, you know, people are getting stung and uh, let's do something about this. And so he was really supportive. He loves the bees. And so we started, basically my work was to capture all of these colonies, relocate them to a safe spot and, and create this apiary that's dedicated to the bees so we can kind of keep the bees in their separate corner and keep the golfers in their separate corners and everyone's happy. And and that's been a really positive story for the bees. Um, additionally, you know, bees require forage and you've got this giant irrigated landscape, a golf course. Uh, I think the average size of a golf course is about 150 acres. And on average, 60% of that acreage is is managed for turf for play. So you got 40% of that 150 acres is kind of underutilized space. So a lot of a lot of my work at Greener Golf is really finding alternative uses, value added, you know, programming for those spaces and a lot of it is creating uh pollinator habitat areas or depending on the region, you know, stormwater catchment basins or just adding a lot of a lot of features into these underutilized spaces. Um and so at Goat Hill we have a huge kind of pollinator habitat area where we're kind of taking more and more areas and and dedicating them to growing flowers to support the bees because they really need a, a constant um, forage source. To kind of tie it all tie it all in is is sustainability and quantifying sustainability is is really challenging. Uh, there's so many factors. I think at the University of Minnesota I tried to capture like every measurable factor. And it was close to a thousand metrics that you'd have to quantify in order to really assess what your sustainability level is. And that's that's a lot of time. You know, golf course superintendents don't have extra time. And so, so trying to accomplish that was um, a big challenge. So what's great about bees, in my opinion, is that bees are what's called an indicator species, meaning if, if they're healthy and present in a location, it indicates that that area or that ecosystem is healthy. Uh, so we, if you have healthy bees, that basically translates to a healthy ecosystem. So it's basically a shorthand way of saying, we have healthy bees here, so therefore this golf course is sustainable. And it's it's a very 
easy kind of shorthand way to not have to go through measuring a thousand different factors, but it's it's kind of it's a start. I'd say a start to demonstrating that a golf course is sustainable by having bees. I call them the Trojan horse of sustainability because there's just so many uh, kind of additional or indirect benefits that having bees really results in. And and when you say a Trojan horse for sustainability in golf, what comes to mind for me is just introducing the concept to golf courses through a beekeeping program that you can use your out-of-play areas in different ways, right? Because there's a number of things that you could do with out-of-play areas, not just beekeeping. So so what are what are some of those additional possibilities that that you've thought about or that you've seen? I mean, bees are one component of it. Pollinators, we really rely on pollinators. But what I like to consider is what we call stacking functions. So how can you get the most the, the most value out of a space? So stacking functions would be something like, all right, we've identified this area. We're going to create a stormwater catchment basin or a retention basin where when it rains, it'll fill with water. So we're going to capture water on site. But also those plants there, we're going to grow some plants that are also beneficial to pollinators. Maybe there's some some plants there that are uh, harvestable as as some form of agriculture. So we have some some additional value there of creating some food for humans. And those spaces then have a lot more value than just kind of keeping it out of sight, out of mind, and just letting it letting it do its thing. There's a little a little bit more, I'd say, grunt work on the front end to to start those programs and initiatives. But once they get rolling, and and really the the design is key of how do you design this space so that it kind of perpetuates itself, that you that you don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but it also provides all these values. So those. Those types of considerations are are what kind of goes through that process. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed that a lot of golf courses put maintenance effort into their out of play areas, and and so just not really having to do that as much anymore would potentially free some things up. But you know, th- this is you're describing the bee t- beekeeping program at at Goat Hill Park. Goat Hill Park is, as you alluded to, is, is a unique place with a wonderful culture headed up by John Ashworth, who currently runs the the Link Soul brand, but is also familiar to golfers through the Ashworth brand, which came before that. And uh, they, you know, there was a community effort to save that golf course. And ever since then, it's been this place of kind of experimentation. And so you could argue that Goat Hill Park is uniquely well situated to accept an idea like a beekeeping program. Like if I were to guess any American golf course that would be most receptive <laughs> to an idea like this, I would probably say the Goat, Goat Hill Park, yeah. right? That, that would be my <laughs> guess, which is a, a wonderful thing for Goat Hill Park, really. But at other kinds of golf courses, you're going to run into a little more trouble in getting them to adopt things like this. And so how do you negotiate that diplomacy? Good question. Uh, so there's there's a obviously a variety in the character of clubs. Goat Hill, as we recognize, is, is a unique case. But I've worked with uh, the University of Michigan golf courses. Both have strong beekeeping programs. The Valley Club of Montecito has a really strong beekeeping program. And the, the primary cause of that or the start of that was basically to mitigate the relationship and, and kind of coordinate the relationship between humans and and honeybees, golfers and hun- and honeybees, because there's a lot of these golf courses are these like 
bee banks where there's there's bees there. There's a lot of bees on these properties. How can you safely navigate and manage that relationship where you don't want a swarm or a colony to move in right next to a tea box? So how do you safely capture or, or kind of relocate these these colonies to a space that you can really be a, an environmental steward, a steward of these colonies and really support the the local honeybee population, but also provide safety for for your membership. The, the superintendent at the Valley Club, Kevin O'Connor, is really supportive of the of the program. He loves the bees and is always asking questions about them. And uh, but I think the membership, you know, the membership really is supportive of it as well. And and I think a lot of the members recognize that the honeybees are a valuable part of our ecosystem, and we need to support them. Yeah. Another benefit, though, is which is which is a challenge for me sometimes is keeping up with the demand for for honey. I mean, everyone is always asking when is the when is the honey harvest, and uh, it's you know, I'm a I'm a beekeeper primarily for the for the benefit of the bees. I'm trying to to strengthen and support honeybee populations and other pollinators, and so I'm not trying to push them too hard to to capture. A lot of honey, but occasionally they'll have a surplus, and I'll be able to get some, and and hopefully that satisfies the demand a little bit. But it's, uh, Wait, do you do you have jars that you hand out and stuff? Yeah, I mean, as part of my contracts with these clients, is is any honey surplus that that is is gathered is is belongs to the club, and so there was a harvest at Goat Hill, and I just gave you know thirty jars to to John and. He, he gave them out to his staff. To each member of his staff, got a little three ounce jar with a Goat Hill honey on it, and um, it had a QR code on the top that links to my website that has a lot of information of why bees are important. And he gave that out as a as a gift uh, for to celebrate the seventh anniversary of Goat Hill, and I think that little gift really connected a lot of the employees to the golf course and. They recognize the value of the beekeeping program, and and really they recognize that, that Goat Hill is a benefit to the to the ecosystem. We're not swimming in honey; it's not like a big honey production operation or anything. We're just I'm just trying to keep the bees healthy and keep golfers healthy as well. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's a it's a side benefit. Yeah, uh, exactly. probably pretty delicious too. I mean, it's like, amazing. Like truly organic honey is uh, is another another animal, so to speak, from uh, from the stuff you get at the grocery store. Yeah, the local locally sourced honey. See, it's seasonal, so it'll taste different during different times of the year, and it's really thought to be really uh, good for for allergies, and because it has the local pollen in it, that's that's processed by the bees a little bit. So, yeah, it's a hot commodity. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little more generally about sustainability and how you define it. You you have a working definition of sustainability in golf. Could you tell me about that, just so we can kind of root ourselves in what we're talking about when we say sustainability? Because it's such a buzzword now, but it does actually mean something. That's a challenge in and of itself is is, is defining sustainability. So the, so the United Nations has a definition. It's meeting the, meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. And that's I think that's reasonable. I, I prefer a few alternatives. One is is basically the kind of the outdoor uh, motto of leave it better than you found it. So basically, as, a, as it applies to a golfer, is fix two ball marks when you make one. 
you know, the golf course is better off because of it. Um, but really the, the definition and the, the practice that I really identify with is basically the First Nations approach of reciprocity. So basically whatever you give, you know, we're, we're given air, water, nourishment, from the earth and we're connected to the earth. And I think that's something that we're, we're constantly, uh, unfortunately, getting farther and farther away from is our connection to the earth. And I think golf is a great way to reestablish some of those connections uh, with our, our kinship with, with the environment. Uh, so th- so the, the idea of reciprocity of, you know, we're, we're given a great gift to be out in, the, in these outdoors and how, how can we support these ecosystems we're not we're not taking from these ecosystems or we're not separate from them we're reuniting with the the ecosystem through golf and through the management of this course and that really provides a lot of value not just to the individual provides a lot of value to the individual golfer you know being outdoors and in, engaging with nature the mental health aspects of it but the non-golfer the the person that is just close to that space really provide gets a lot of value from that golf course as well and so, so that's something I, I really consider, um, like you mentioned, defining sustainability is, is a challenge in and of itself. And we have a hard time defining it, and then we have a hard time quantifying it. But I think golf courses now are trying to be more sustainable. And I think that word more, it needs to go. I mean, we're, we're trying to be, I, I see a, a future where we're beyond sustainable, where we're really regenerating these ecosystems and supporting ecosystems rather than kind of these net net zero mm-hmm. approaches. We're, we're at a point where I think golf courses can really be a regenerative and beyond sustainable land use. Now, so what are some of the specific ways in which golf courses can do this? So it, we talked about pollinator habitats. What are some other ecosystem services or, or ways in which golf courses can have a regenerative effect uh, as opposed to taking away something or or just keeping it kind of level. Yeah, and so there's a whole whole list of sustainability metrics and initiatives and and things that a golf course can engage in. I think that changes based on the region. For example, in California, water quantity is like the biggest issue. So using reclaimed water or using less water, having very firm and fast conditions, which are fun. You know, it's a little browner maybe, but you know, I think that's something that golfers need to be to need to accept and understand. Uh, so, California water quantity is an issue, whereas in the Midwest, water water quality is a big issue. So, you know, with regards to sustainability, there's economic sustainability, there's the environmental sustainability, uh, kind of community engagement, but also golfer experience is a big part of sustainability. You know, how do you enhance the golfer experience? I think education and in integrating a lot of educational opportunities on the golf courses and really highlighting what a golf course is rather than just a recreational space to golfers is a, is a value. Um, but to, to kind of go back to your question, I kind of went on a tangent there, but basically we're looking at air quality, carbon sequestration. We're looking at soil health. Carbon sequestration of soils is is a tremendous opportunity there. Having healthy soils will retain a lot of carbon. If you have healthy soils, then you uh, have healthy turf, and you have you can use less water and less chemicals. And so there's a lot. They're all connected in ways, but I think looking at each golf course as a unique land use 
is necessary in order to figure out which which sustainability initiatives are are best there. And I think the the part of sustainability that is often overlooked and you know we we're, we're looking at environmental issues all the time but there's there's things about like accessibility and environmental justice of these land uses how do we get more people on them how do we get a population of golfers that's representative of the population of these communities and how do we use golf as a tool to promote positive social change and and community engagement and 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 a positive future um those are big issues there's you know, agriculture is is a huge one. I, I spent some time as the campus farm manager at the University of Michigan, and I just love gardening and farming and, and growing my own food. And, you know, bees are a big part of that. And, you know, golf courses are these giant irrigated spaces. So why don't we like plant some some veggies around and, and really utilize those spaces as as these kind of local food movements are are really starting to to take hold. So there's a whole list of of opportunities there. And and I think, like I said, every golf course has a unique ecosystem and a unique community that it's a part of. And so it, it kind of requires a very deep dive into what is existing here. You know, we, we talk a lot about the future, but we really don't know where we stand. So I think really doing a lot of data collection and understanding where the golf course is, how much water it uses, and and just really doing a baseline assessment of this is where we this is where we are now. Um, that that gives you a really strong position to make a change and then measure that change, and then that measurement of change, you know, that positive change really then results in a, a really powerful story of this value of this golf course. And this is what you call the greener golf index. Right, that your way of measuring how sustainable a golf course is, or uh, what it what it adds, as opposed to what it takes away. Yeah. So the the greener golf index, as you mentioned, is is an attempt at a holistic measurement of uh, the sustainability of a golf course. I, I say attempt just because I mentioned there's over a thousand different measurable factors that go into the management of a course, and so it uh, captures information from the economics, the environment, the community, and the golfer experience. And so what we're trying to do is maximize the impacts of those. And so, you know, finding the key factors of each of those kind of silos kind of goes into this algorithm where the concept is that you, you have a score that you can then have a baseline assessment and say, okay, we here's where we stand now. We're going to do these interventions. Now we're going to measure again. And then, then we have that that delta that we can then, you know, use as a kind of a positive story of 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 us of a change and and the impact. Really measuring the impact is 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 what this this tool is designed to do. Would this member uh, would this measurement sometimes discover things that are not so great about what a golf course is doing? <laughs> yeah, and that's that's a great question because. There's a uh, a belief by by some in the industry that if you me- if you don't measure it, it doesn't exist, right? Of you know, if if you start measuring something, then we're liable for for whatever that issue is. And so, with regard to like uh, products and different chemicals and so forth used, there's a, a thing called the environmental 
in, uh, let's see, the environmental impact quotient, which was developed by Cornell University. Uh, you know, shout out to Dr. Frank Rossi out there. He's doing some amazing work with golf. They developed this, this uh, database of any product or chemical you would use for, for a golf course. And it, it gives you a score um, similar to the Greener Golf Index. And then you can find alternatives for that product that are that are better for the bees, better for the the, the watershed and so forth. But that's that is a, a big challenge is is starting that journey of collecting data. So there's a lot of lot of hesitancy, I would say, by some some golf course operators to mm-hmm. to capture some of that data because they see that it could potentially result in a you know some sort of liability down the road. Uh, so let's get specific about what this could look like, what this kind of work could look like at a particular course. Um, you did your, I, I think your master's thesis work at the University of Michigan golf courses, one of which is the the U of M golf course, which is an Alistair McKenzie design uh, that actually Andy and I talked about in our last episode of the podcast. It's a really cool golf course. Uh, and then there's Radrick Farms, which is a, a Pete Dye course from the mid 60s, I believe. It's It's sort of early in uh, yeah. in his career one of his early projects you did uh you did a ton of work at these golf courses uh, as you were researching your thesis and, and in fact did some projects uh, at these courses and uh so could you tell me about those and and you know what kind of specific measures you took to increase the sustainability of them yeah both great golf courses I recognized in my golf career, I was a club pro for a while. I was a, a junior golf tournament director for a while and really just kind of tried a lot of, wore many hats in the industry. Yeah. Well, you're you're one of those rare people who is part of the PGA as well as the GCSAA. So the, know, yeah. the main professionals association as well as the main uh um, you know, Greenkeepers <laughs> Association. Exactly. So. There's not there's not a lot of overlap, and I'm happy to be involved with both organizations. And I recognized in my career that you know the golf has this great opportunity to be a better steward of the environment. So I chose to go to grad school to really focus on you know exploring that and really studying that and and finding that opportunity. And I chose the University of Michigan because it has a strong landscape architecture program, which Mike DeVries went through. He's a Michigan guy. And I also got a, so I got a master's of landscape architecture there, but also a master of science in sustainable systems. So it was one of those programs that you're able to have a very strong science background, but also really focus on kind of the art and design and, and, and get deep into the landscape side of things. So that, that was a really valuable experience. And I went specifically to focus on golf and going to an environmental school, focusing on golf was a uh, was an eye opener. I mean, I got a lot of confrontation early, and luckily, I was able to have a lot of great conversations with with some incredible people, really smart people that are focusing on different aspects of sustainability and environmental justice and so forth, and and have some difficult conversations. And I'm I'm grateful to have turned some uh, perceptions onto the more positive side of golf. Uh, but to focus on uh, the University of Michigan golf course, which is also known as the Blue Course, an Alistair McKenzie course. It's a it's an amazing amazing track, and 
And I remember a great memory is uh, Saturday, there was a big Michigan football game. And then Sunday, they had the uh, you know tailgating everywhere on the golf course. And then Sunday was the, they have a student club championship. And so... <laughs> Like it was right after the the tailgating, and so you know you hit a ball out of out of play, and you're like, you know, there's beer cans or something like that. It's incredible how how good of a job they do at going from tailgate to playability. I don't know how they do it, but it's it's pretty incredible, and the course is in really good shape. But a really uh, historically important and a really great design, and it's accessible to students. Um, really fantastic piece of property. And it's right next to the big house, which is which is a lot of fun. And then Radrick Farms is, uh, like you said, a Pete Dye course, and it was Pete Dye's Pete and Alice Dye's first eighteen-hole design. But it wasn't built until after they've they finished a few other courses. But it's part of this big property that was uh, donated to the university by Frederick Mathai, and he they started the botanical gardens there. There's a big forest there. Luckily for me, they have this caretaker program there where if you're a graduate student in, back then it was called the, the School of Natural Resources and Environment. Now it's the School of Environment and Sustainability, getting getting that buzzword in there, you know, uh, rebranded. Um, but if you're a student at, at this school, there's opportunities for free housing in exchange for being a caretaker of this property. And so I worked 10 hours a week on the golf course, either mowing greens or, you know, doing whatever. Um, and I lived on property in this old farmhouse and it was an incredible uh, four years there. And part of my master's project was to design a little little part three course called the Gateway Course, um, kind of the gateway to sustainability. It's also at the gateway of Radrick Farms. And you know we're we're still in discussions of potentially building that um which is a lot of a lot of fun and that property is is just a really special place to me and it's a great resource for the university mm-hmm. the farmhouse that you were living in was that <laughs> meant for habitation uh, yeah, at one point it was yeah i mean it was a little it was a little run down but you know it had a fireplace at one point that they then decided it wasn't a good idea to to let graduate students just have fires in an old building. So you know that was that was Did a graduate a students typically live there. Was that like a place that often you would find graduate students through time? Well, so originally it was the the house of the general manager, and then it it was kind of vacated for a long period of time. And then this is a pretty l- lucky for me is the year that I started uh, at Michigan they started a caretaker program there. So I was one of the first caretakers there, but they've continued that program since I've been there. So graduate students still live there and uh, it's, you know, I've been there to visit a few times and it, it's still standing and it's a beautiful old, you know, kind of white farmhouse, but uh, it's got its, you know, it's, it's aged a little bit, but the price is right. You know, it's, it's <laughs> 10 hours, 10 hours of greens mowing a week is, is, is worth it. Yeah. All right, so the gateway course, what projects would be part of that course that would help in the drive toward sustainability, do you think, if if that course were built? Yeah, so having a little kind of laboratory for golf is, if you can imagine, would be a great benefit to a golf course because you can really explore and experiment 
with, with different turf species, different irrigation strategies, different nutrient cycles and so forth. And you can, you can experiment on this, on this little course before you, you put it out on the, on the big course. And so also there's, you know, so that's, that's one component of it. Also, there's uh, the challenge of getting new players into the game. So signing up for a tee time and playing 18 holes is a very intimidating thing for a new golfer. And so if you had a space where you could you know, kind of learn learn the ropes a little bit and figure out how to play, what's the flow of a round, even if it's on a, a short little nine-hole par three course, you know, you kind of get the feel of playing a round of golf and then you can take the next step. So it's a it's a gateway to golf as well as as sustainability. And uh just having a place place for for fun. You know how popular you guys were just up at Bandon Dunes, right? And I don't know if you played the preserve or not. That we trip. didn't play the preserve, and, and people have been giving <laughs> us a hard time, rightfully so, that we didn't. But I have played the preserve. I have, I have been out there and, and played for sure. Well, you you know that that's that's the uh, often the highlight of people's trips is playing yes. the preserve because it's unique and it's like a more of a it cultivates this level of play like the like the playground up goat hill it's a short little three hole course it's for for kids and or the punch bowl at at bandon dunes as well i've seen a, like i have this memory of these these older guys on abandoned trip just laughing like little boys on the punch bowl and running around and just having a blast and mm-hmm. and those different um models of golf i think really enhance you know the big golf, like the eighteen hole rounds and so forth. So having a little, little space to experiment and show to people and and get new people involved and try new things and have bees and grow some food and have a lot of laughs, just make it a fun experience. I think having more spaces like that is really valuable for the game. Yeah, and I, you know I've thought of short courses often as being spaces of experimentation for architecture too. Because at courses like the Preserve or the Sandbox at Sand Valley, architects can try more daring ideas than they could on a full 18-hole course. Because for whatever reason, when golfers play a short course, they are primed to accept weird stuff. (laughs) You know, it's okay if there's like a super crazy green or if there's an 80-yard hole that's completely blind. Whereas if they saw that on a big course, they might say, oh, that's gimmicky. Oh, that doesn't have any place here. On a short course, they're more like, oh, this is fun. And so they're in more of a kind of accepting frame of mind. And I guess the same could be true of of maintenance. Yeah, absolutely. Having a place to test things out and play around with architecture, with management, and with just getting people involved in golf is, is of I think, of great value for for a space like Radrick Farms and and being affiliated with the university too really pride you know Michigan really prides itself on being the leaders and best in all these these activities and having having a place where you can really use that space to get people involved in golf and and benefit the community there's it's just kind of a win-win win situation there and I'm, I hope we move forward with it sometime soon Thank you so much for talking to me, Parker, and uh, good luck with your with your ventures. This episode was edited by Meg Atkins. Thank you, Meg. 
And if you want to learn more about Parker Anderson's work and his company, Greener Golf, you can go to greener.golf. Thanks for listening.